1: Hello and
0: welcome to Sweden in Focus, the locals' weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 16th of March. And this week we're going to talk about how safe your money is in a Swedish bank after recent turmoil in the global finance sector. We will give you a couple of updates on the government's never-ending NATO headache and we'll discuss the debate surrounding the idea of a new language reform to do away with these separate words in Swedish for they and them. We'll also talk about whether the Christian Democrats are a party in crisis after the party secretary, Johan Ingerer, was forced to step down this week. We will have an interview with Canada's ambassador to Sweden, and we'll end this post-Oscar ceremony week with a close look at Sweden's most cinematic family, the Scotchfords. And make sure to stick around to the end to hear our recommendations for some Swedish films you really shouldn't miss. I'm Paul Amani and I'm on my own in Stockholm today, but thankfully I'm joined from the Malmo studio by Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. How are you both? Very good. Fantastic. How are you? Oh, thanks for asking. I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I've
2: fallen off the coffee wagon after three months after it being a New Year's resolution. So I'm back on
0: caffeine. So if I'm a bit speedy, that's why. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Richard is extremely caffeinated. So uh, he'll be speaking at the speed of light today.
0: Okay. Did you watch Melody Festival at the weekend?
3: I did. I watched like the first two songs and then I had to put my child to sleep and missed everything and the minute i came out of her room the winner had just been announced so i stopped watching after that okay it's not very fun when you get the the notification in your phone like okay well what's the point in watching now i know who won
2: we had the full sort of swedish mellow hang with like crisps and everything and then had another couple of families over and what was it i mean i don't know with always melody it's it's super fun but in the back of my head there's always this little voice going these songs are actually not good. <laughs> <laughs> this music is terrible. Manufactured pop of the very worst worst variety. But you have to kind of suspend your critical functions, I think, to get into the swing of
0: it. What about the winning song Lorraine's Tattoo? Is it any good? I
3: quite like it. I mean, as a mellow song. And I'm, I'm much happier that she won over Marcus and Martinez. The thing I'm happiest about is that I think Sweden's got a really good chance of winning Eurovision this year. And my, one of my, like, life goals is to see Eurovision. I know I could have just gone to see it in the UK, but, like, it would be very cool to see it in Sweden.
0: How about you, Richard? Did you like it? The winning song?
2: I think the best song probably won, but I don't think it's it's another euphoria, which is apparently the most listened to Eurovision song pretty much ever Oh, really it's like the the, the one she had in two thousand and twelve has continued to be the most played Eurovision song of the last decade. It's probably up there with uh Love's heroes or something but it's, I think it's bigger than that, so I don't think it's quite as catchy as that, but I think it was the best song of the of the bunch.
0: okay, well, let's see how it goes in Eurovision, which will be in may and we'll uh, we'll be back with a uh, preview and plenty of time for that. Before we get on to the news, I just want to say that we always like to hear from listeners. So if you have feedback or ideas for the podcast, you can find a link to a survey in the show notes, or you can always email us at news at the local.se. We read all the comments in the survey and use them when planning our episodes. So do please keep them coming. Now, onto the news. Late last week, two US banks went bust, sparking fears of further failures in the global banking sector. Sweden's Financial Supervisory Authority called all of the country's major bank and pension fund managers to a meeting to ascertain their vulnerability to US bank collapses after Swedish pension giant Electus exposure saw it suffer 12 billion kroner in losses. And all this led us to wonder what would happen to our savings in Swedish accounts if any banks here were to collapse. So tell us, Becky, are we safe?
3: I mean, that depends if you're a millionaire or not, really. Um Jokes aside, Sweden, like many other countries, and I think every other country in the EU, has a deposit guarantee, which is called an insetnings guarantee yep. in Swedish. Any savings you have up to 1,050,000 krona mm-hmm. are protected, and that will be refunded if your bank goes bust. And another kind of interesting thing to note here is this is per person per bank. So, if you are lucky enough to have more than 1,050,000 kroner in savings, you can split that across multiple banks. So, you can have a million kroner in one bank and a million kroner in another bank, and all of that will be protected as long as they're in different banks. If all of the banks go bust at the same time, which hopefully they wouldn't. Mm. And if you have a joint account shared by two people, then you get a million. And fifty thousand krona each. Right. You can have up to two million one hundred thousand krona, and that will still be covered by the deposit guarantee.
0: And this is obviously a major issue, issue for us as journalists with our gigantic salaries, where we have to decide where to put <laughs> our millions. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, you know, it's just one of those terrible problems we all have to face in life. Yeah,
0: and you have an article on this, Becky, don't you? That we'll link to in the notes. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of concern at the moment about the the banking sector and whether this will spread. So um, stay tuned mm. to the local.se where we'll be covering all the big stories on this. OK, let's move on to NATO now. Last week was a big week in political circles for Sweden's NATO application. The head of the NATO alliance, Jens Stoltenberg, was in Stockholm to meet Prime Minister Ulf Christensen and a delegation from Hungary, the only country besides Turkey yet to ratify Sweden's application, also travelled to Stockholm to meet the Speaker of Parliament, Andreas Nor- and in Brussels, Swedish representatives resumed talks with their Turkish counterparts for the first time since Turkey put the process on hold after the burning of a Quran outside the Turkish embassy in Stockholm. But what was the upshot of all this? Are we any the wiser as to if and when Hungary and Turkey are going to let Finland and Sweden in? Richard?
2: Uh, Not really. I think the one thing that is absolutely clear from last week is that there has been no breakthrough Mm. (laughs) whatsoever, either with Turkey or really with Hungary. It's pretty much the same situation. Um, And Ulf Christensen... On Tuesday held a press conference where he said what well, pretty much everyone who's been paying any attention at all knew already, which is that Finland is going to get the go ahead from Turkey and maybe Hungary as well, before Sweden does, and that this idea that the two countries would go step in step is has been abandoned. And what was quite funny is it was in answer to a question from Radio Sweden, the English bit of Swedish radio. And so he had to answer in English. And he said, well, they asked why the likelihood of Finland going first had increased. And he went, well, uh, and he sort of fumbled around. He goes, what do you say? You'd say samlad bedömning. And he went for the <laughs> Swedish kind of... It, like it's the politician's go-to word to say like
3: a combined decision I guess <laughs> it's
2: a sort of overall assessment and, and it basically yeah. means it's a total non-answer it means I, I, I'm not going to tell you the reason you know it's like it's not one thing in particular so it's quite <laughs> funny and he, and he sort of goes can Sam Lepidemi then he looked around and he goes well can someone help me out here you know how would you translate <laughs> that someone haven't brushed up
3: on their waffling in English that, that kind
2: of non-language waffle in English so it's quite funny but, um, and, but but strategically he did the press conference side by side with Oscar Stens who's the guy that the social democrats he's a social democrat former official and he's the guy who's been leading the nato conversation so i think bringing him up to a press conference and oscar centrum's normally been a kind of more a backroom guy in the NATO process. So to suddenly bring him up on the stand, I think, is a way of kind of diluting responsibility for mm. the fact that this is basically not going well. He's sort of sort of mm. saying, this is a link to the Social Democrats. He's the guy who's been handling it. So that was quite an interesting shift. And going on to Hungary, the visit from Hungarian MPs, there were lots of mixed messages. So while they all said, yes, we support Sweden as a member of NATO, they were extremely... They, they also came with this big file full of a list of all the nasty things Swedish politicians have said about Hungary over mm. the last Every twenty years. Every single
3: tweet saved uh, in a folder. Exactly,
2: and and this guy Chaba Hende, the speaker of the. Hungarian Parliament. He said he said, Well, it's at least a hundred pages long, this file. Oh, <laughs> and then he goes, Let me introduce you to a few. And he goes, Well, here's one from Annika Strandhal in two thousand and nineteen. And it was like, What's happening in Hungary is alarming. Now Orban wants more true Hungarian children to be born. The politics screams the nineteen thirties. And the said this was like a disgusting statement.
0: Can you remind us who Annika Strandhal is?
2: Annika Strandhal was a former I think
3: she was the environment minister. I think she
2: was she, she's been environment minister and also maybe and she's also the she's the head of uh, uh, Social Democrat Kvinnor which is the big woman side of yeah. the Social Democrat so she's a, a big heavyweight Swedish politician she's also an absolute compulsive tweeter uh, I think she's allowed to be on the off the leash okay. she's the off the leash politician yeah. and but the upshot of all that is that on Tuesday, Hungary delayed the planned vote for Swedish and NATO membership again. So yeah. it's supposed to happen on the 20th and 21st, but now that's been cancelled for another week. So it might happen the week after, or will it be pushed forward another week? And will we Sweden again be kept in kind of NATO limbo mm. by the Hungarians as well as the Turks? So it's all not great. I mean, there's still hope that it will start to be sorted out after the Turkish election, yeah. which now looks more and more certain to be on May the 14th and there might also be a breakthrough at the NATO summit in Vilnius in July because if you look at what happened last year in June you know the Turks had been like complete wall of opposition and then suddenly they did this deal when they were at the NATO summit and all the spotlights were on them so I think that could maybe happen again but it doesn't look like it's going to be sorted anytime soon is the answer after this busy NATO week.
0: Great thanks for that roundup uh, Richard and yeah stay tuned to the site for any more updates there. Let's talk about the Swedish language now and the fact that the incoming head of the Swedish Language Council, Brok Rodat, wants to replace Dear and D- Dem, the written Swedish words for they and them with dom, D-O-M, the word used for both they and them in spoken Swedish. The language researcher Lena lind Palitzki will step into her new role this summer and traditionalists are up in arms over her intention to ditch they de and them. Becky, why is this such a contentious issue?
3: Well, it's a contentious issue because knowing the difference between de and dem is like is is widely regarded as a sign that you know you you can write good and correct Swedish. Yeah. Similar to knowing which there or its to use in English. You know, like there with an ei, there with an e, there ey apostrophe or that. Um. So young people in particular who often find it quite difficult to know whether to use de or dem because they're both pronounced dumb. Uh, They're often criticized for this, you know, like, what's wrong with young people nowadays? Do they even learn anything in school? That kind of thing. So by getting rid of de and dem and writing dom instead, it kind of represents legitimizing something which has been seen as a mistake or a sign of bad Swedish for decades. So that annoys all of these Swedish language purists who have been kind of beating it into their children and had to beat it into themselves when they were young.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And what do what do most Swedes think about this?
3: It is interesting because this kind of dom reform talk of this dom reform has been going on since at least the 60s if not earlier. And Swedes are kind of still not really on board with it. They're still not really in favor. So in a study last year by Novus on behalf of Språktidningen, which is kind of a language magazine, Mm. only 26% of Swedes wanted to make dom official. 39% wanted to continue to use de and dem. And thirty-one percent had neither positive nor negative feelings towards a DOM reforms. So I'd say the highest number want everything to remain the same, but no one's there's no real, real kind of big group in favor of anything. And weirdly, paradoxically, the the group which is most often accused of having problems with and which is like Swedes between eighteen and twenty-nine, were most against reforming it to DOM. Right. With the majority of this group, fifty-eight percent against.
0: Is like because they've just had to learn it in school, and they're like, now? We've-?
3: Well, yeah, this is. Th- this is, yeah, this is what they were saying in Språkningen's article. It was like th- this this group have just like battled to learn this and they feel a little bit like all oh, that work will be for nothing. At the other end of the scale, Swedes over the age of 65 were most positive towards a reform. They were the only group which had the highest number of people positive. I mean, that was still only 28%, but still. This could maybe be because they've been through the motions before. They remember this debate going on in the 60s and 70s. They're so a bit like, okay, just do it now. Like we've been speaking yeah, about this for, yeah. for decades. Or it could be that, you know, they've heard that, you know, this is the future, language is changing, get with the times kind of thing.
0: This feels like quite a big change. What do you think about it, um, Richard? I mean, I'm all in favour. I mean, in the
2: past, Sweden has shown itself ready to sort of make these big language reforms Mm. or changing which side of the road you drive, you know, quite big fundamental things that just makes everything a little bit more rational. And everybody, once it's decided, everybody just kind of gets on board. Whereas in the UK, you've got all these people protesting and still trying to use pints and and pounds and shillings and, Mm. you know, complaining about decimal coinage and stuff, which uh, Sweden doesn't tend to have that sort of tradition for the tradition's sake. Uh, attitude. I mean, and my daughter thinks it's an outrage that the word for de it's written dear, but pronounced Dom. And she just absolutely refuses to comply. She will always read it, dear. And you go, it's Dom. And she <laughs> goes, well, uh, uh, it's written dear, and I'm going to say it, dear, whatever you say, you know, she just thinks it's crazy. And I think she's probably right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favour.
0: How about you, Becky?
3: I think it's interesting, because it kind of shows within linguistics, like, do you believe that like a language academy should dictate what mm. people say? Or do you believe that people should dictate whether the language is changed or not? Because, it, you know, you've got the one side of people saying, no, people should just learn the difference. That's what the language is. That's what it's always going to be. Learn the grammar and then you'll be writing proper Swedish. And then you've got the other kind of school of people saying, no, you know, I mean, we've changed this. It makes sense. We pronounce it this way. Let's just change the language so it reflects what people say. So I think it really kind of shows kind of a, a very foundational difference in linguistics, Mm. this this whole idea of does the language define how we should write things or do we define how the language is written?
2: Or or somebody 500 years ago, you know, in the UK, it was Samuel Johnson or whoever wrote the first English dictionaries just happened to be pretty irrational when it came to spelling and we're stuck with it because of that. And English could definitely do with spelling reform. It's crazy the way English words are spelled and it just reflects maybe how people used to speak in the 18th century.
3: I think also there's something to be said for making the written language closer to the spoken language because it does make it easier to learn the language like now day de and them is a little bit of a especially for english speakers it's a little bit of a anomaly there because they they match quite well mm. to they and them in english like that's actually one of the ways that swedes often learn the rules yeah. it's like okay translate it to english would you say they or would you say them so it would actually make it harder for english speakers because you'd have to like learn that they and them are both dumb but um i don't know how i feel I'm, I'm on the fence yeah i
2: mean one of the nice things about swedish is there's actually relatively few of these kind of create weirdnesses i think there's more in danish am i right yeah <laughs> Yeah. there's a lot more weirdnesses like this in danish like archaic spellings i mean and
3: danish in this is definitely off topic but danish in like the 80s had something called the mayonnaise krien, the mayonnaise wars when there was like one camp of people saying no we should write it how it's spelt in french and another camp of people saying no we should <laughs> we should write it like we do in swedish you know translate it to the scandinavian orthography put in like Air, mm. the, the letter air and stuff. Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of a big difference between Danish and Swedish. And you can see that Danish is like very hard to learn. It's impossible to figure out how the word is pronounced a lot of the time because, you know, it doesn't match. But in Swedish, you're like, okay, you can pretty much just read it and it'll sound right. So I think that's, that's definitely a big difference here. You can see what happens to a language when you don't make these kinds of changes and what happens to a language when you do. And I think Swedish is a lot easier to learn, but do you want to change your language so it's easier to learn? What's the kind of reasoning behind it? Or do you just want to change it because this is what people say so we'll make it match the language.
0: Okay, thanks for filling us in on that, Becky. And we have uh, an article that we'll link to in the notes about the DOM debate and we'll be following this closely to see how it develops in the months to come. OK, so let's move on to the Christian Democrats now. Uh, so the Christian Democrats are one of the three parties in government and they were rocked this week by a scandal involving two of the people most closely associated with the party's sharp move to the right on migration issues, Sara Huitadal and Johan Ingera. And by coincidence, we mentioned Sarah Hüttedal in our midweek episode this week as the politician on the moral right who recently admitted to using cannabis and who favours its legalisation. She is the former leader of her party's youth wing a member of the European Parliament and she has described Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher as her political idols. And she's also a member of the party's leadership committee, so a real power broker within the Christian Democrats. And Johan Ingera, he started out as a right-wing blogger before becoming a leader writer for several newspapers. He joined the Christian Democrats as press spokesman in 2012 and has since then held various roles in the party, but none more important than party secretary, which has been his job since October 2022. But this week, he was sacked why, Richard?
2: Well, it took a good few hours to find out because I found it quite interesting covering it because first the party came out with a press release that just thanked him for his service and said he was going immediately. Mm. And they didn't say why. And and their press officer <laughs> was kind of just stalling when he rung her up. So I think it was sort of choreographed. And then he came out with a statement on Facebook a bit later, like maybe an hour or a couple of hours later, and gave his account, which was that he'd been accused by a colleague of some sort of molestation, he said, at yeah. post-election after party nine years ago, where there was a lot of spirits. And he said at the time he'd had a, a big alcohol problem, mm. which he added was a secret to no one. And he'd now been sober for eight years. And he also said that the accusations came out after a serious work-related conflict with the accuser. Yeah. And he said that even though he hadn't seen the police report, he knew that what had been claimed was not true. Right. A few hours after him, Sarah Skutterdahl wrote her own Facebook post and again, it's unclear what she's accusing him of in the press report because she said
3: he laid claim. He laid.
2: He tried against my will, tried to lay claim to my body. Mm. What is that? That could be rape. could be attempted rape. Could be yeah. sexual harassment. Yeah. Because the statute of limitations expires for a certain number of years. If the police are going to pick it up, it has to be a more serious crime. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Not
3: that sexual harassment isn't serious, but you know, like yeah. serious in the terms of. of- what sentence yeah, it was? Precisely, yeah. precisely,
2: it has to be rape or a sexual assault or something if the police are going to be able to prosecute it. What's interesting, as you said, you can see what the professional disagreement could have been about because only a few days after there's supposed to have been a blow up between them, she went on SVT's flagship Interview program, 30 minutes, and talked about how she had smoked cannabis as a sitting Christian Democrat MEP Mm. and pushed her agenda for reforming drug policy and said how it had, you know, been for her own personal reasons had been useful for her to smoke cannabis. And that is dynamite in Sweden because Sweden has one of the most conservative approaches to drug policy yeah. of any yeah. country in Europe. So you can just see how the how the yeah. party secretary would react yeah. to I mean, a senior politician going rogue on or something like that.
3: I mean, in Sweden, if you're caught in possession of cannabis, or if you're caught under the influence of cannabis, you could be barred from certain careers for life.
2: The one point on which it agreed with Ingera's is she said, a few weeks ago, that man crossed a line again. And that was the last straw, she said. Mm. And she said it was a professional line, not even close to the line crossed eight years ago, but something right. snapped. He, of all people, did not have the right to treat me badly again. And so she also, that's a way of sort of saying that, yes, it was a professional quarrel, yeah. but... I had been holding this, suffering this pain because of this yeah. wow. event for all this time in between. So yeah. so they've both kind of got, got, I suppose, the criticisms that people can levy against them out immediately.
0: And how damaging is all this for the Christian Democrats and party leader Eber Bush?
2: I think in a way they've handled it incredibly well. It's a textbook way of handling it because... As soon as it's public, the very first press release that publicizes this, he's sacked. He's out of the question. It, yeah. they, there's no quibble. There's no like, oh, we'll wait for the results of a party in- inquiry. A- and they've also kept it quiet for more than a month since she said that she was going to do this. And they've investigated it within the party. So presumably they, they have a pretty good idea of how hard or difficult it's going to be for ingerer to make his case and so they've decided to go it's inc- i think pretty ruthless seeing as he says he's innocent mm. uh, but i mean they've got the problem out of the way immediately so in that sense i think less damaging than it would have been if they had tried to keep him in place what damage there might be is you know these are two of the biggest figures in the party it's not like A minor, it's not like, you know, number ten, number twelve, you know, these are probably like number three or four or number two and three. And so for that, it's really damaging for the party.
0: I saw some speculation that this could lead to a new wave of Me Too accusations in Sweden, sort of across the political spectrum. And I guess we'll see how this develops. And I know Richard, you wrote an, an article about some high profile Me Too cases in Sweden that we've seen so far, and we'll we'll link to that in the show notes.
1: It's
0: time now for our ambassador series and this week we're going to listen to an interview with Canada's ambassador to Sweden, Jason Latour. Now unfortunately when we were recording this interview there was drilling going on next door and the microphone was picking up a lot of noise so we're only going to play a relatively short excerpt but we will have plenty more from this interview in an article on the site early next week. I started by asking about the history of the bilateral relationship between Sweden and Canada.
4: So we have a a really strong and dynamic uh, relationship Mm. uh, with Sweden. In fact, this year is the 80th anniversary of Canada-Sweden diplomatic relations. So we'll be celebrating over the course of the year through uh, different events and, and activities. You know, as a close uh, friend and and security partner uh, to Sweden, uh, Canada was pleased to be the first uh, NATO ally to ratify uh, Sweden's accession protocols to join NATO. What would you say is the best thing about living in Sweden? I feel like Canadians and Swedes will will skate on anything that freezes. So (laughs) uh, outdoor ice rinks you'll find in both countries. You'll find um, uh, Swedes skating on the Baltic, whereas in Canada you'll find them on, for example, skating on the longest ice rink in the world, which is in Ottawa. There's an expression that I that I hope to take back to Canada uh, with me, and that is that there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. And I love this expression, and it's something that I think uh, we would fully agree with in, in Canada. And then, you know, fika. I love fika. Like, I know, what's not to like about fika? It's uh, coffee, which I love, along with, uh, you know, seasonal pastries. It's a <laughs> wonderful part of, uh, of Sweden. And then, if you, you know, add on that, you add on, like, the social cohesion the corporate structures that are flat, um, you know, a strong, strong social programs that support greater in- income inequality, the emphasis on gender equality. And it makes for, you know, this, uh, it's a recipe for just a wonderful place to live and a place that actually reminds me a lot of Canada in yeah. many ways. You've
0: just been listening to the Canadian Ambassador Jason Latoura and we'll have more from that interview in an article on the site in the coming days. Now, at the Oscars ceremony last week, Ruben Oestlund was nominated for Best Film, Best Director and Best Screenplay for Triangle of Sadness. But the Swedish director went home empty-handed, as did Ludwig Jørgensson, who was nominated for Best Song for Lift Me Up from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So we've had films on our minds this week, and Becky had been waiting for a while to write an article about a Swedish family of actors who've won plenty of awards over the years, the Skarsgårds. And that article is now available on the website, and we'll link to it in the notes. So, Becky, who are the Skarsgårds and what might we have seen them in?
3: Well, they're kind of an acting dynasty. They are Sweden's very own Nepo babies, if you will, which is somewhat evidenced by the fact that every single one of them of the current generation got their first acting break before the age of 10, Mm. apart from maybe the one Skarsgård daughter. I'm not sure if she did. They're also all very tall. All the men in the family are reportedly over six feet tall, although I'm not sure who measured them. (laughs) Uh, The patriarch of the family is 71-year-old Stellan Skarsgård, Mm -hmm. who internationally I'd say is most well-known for roles in kind of Pirates of the Caribbean, Mamma Mia, although he also does often a fair share of intellectual films, so he's got a particular connection to Lars von Trier, the Danish director. He has six children with his first wife, Mu Skarsgård, Mm -hmm. who is a doctor and two with his second wife, Megan Everett, who is a film producer. So the eldest Skarsgård of this generation is 46-year-old Alexander, who is the probably the most well-known Skarsgård of his kind of group of siblings. <laughs> He's known for roles in True Blood, The Northman, Big Little Lies. Then we've got his brother Gustav, who's 42, played Floki in Vikings, if you've seen that, as well as roles in series like Westworld on HBO and Cursed on Netflix. Then we have the black sheep of the family, Sam, aged 41, who uh, actually took after his mother became a doctor. Okay. Uh, him and his wife live with Gustav and his wife in Södermalm just down the road from Stellan and Megan.
0: Does he do any amateur acting or anything or is he just like he's stayed away from all that?
3: I think his, he was in some, I think he was in like a TV, a Swedish TV show when he was like four or something. Okay. So he also got his first acting break before the age of 10 despite mm. not becoming an actor. Then we have 32-year-old Bill, the fourth brother, who is most well-known for paying Pennywise in kind of Stephen King's horror film it Mm -hmm. uh, and was also in the most recent john wick film as well as deadpool 2 he was in netflix series clark along with his partner alida Morberry and his half brother colbyon who is 10 years old Uh, again acting (laughs) break before 10 who we'll get on to later then we've got the only daughter Aya, who Mm -hmm. is 31 she works as a casting director Most recently on Swedish TV series Young Royals and Lust, she also lives on Södermalm. So if you spend enough time hanging around Södermalm, you'll bump into one of the Skarsgård's eventually.
0: Oh yeah, there are ten a penny around there. Yeah,
3: I mean (laughs) Emma was saying that the old local office used to be on Södermalm, and she's like, yeah, they just walked past collecting their post all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, you'd meet Um, them, you'd bump into them at the recycling station. I never did, but some of my colleagues did.
3: I was talking to uh, one of our colleagues. He was like, yeah, I was sitting at uh, my friend's wine bar, and apparently Alexander Skarsgård was sitting next to us, but I didn't realise. I was just like, you didn't realise? What?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, finally, for the first kind of group of siblings, we've got Walter, who is 27, mm-hmm. who I don't think he's really had his big break outside of Sweden, but within Sweden he's been in cop series Beck and he's working on a TV series about ice hockey legend Börje Salming and he's playing Salming. Then we have Stellan Starsquart's two sons with Megan Everett. We've got mm-hmm. 13-year-old Ossian, who right. again has been in a film. At the age of 13, called Bren Alaminabrev, Burn All My Letters, alongside his brother Bill. And he will also be in the TV advent calendar on SVT this year, playing a troll called Love.
0: Okay, and that's a big deal, the TV advent calendar. Yeah, so. it's
3: a big deal. And then finally, we've got Kolbjörn, age 10, who, like I said, starred alongside his brother Bill in Clark when he was nine. And he's also been in the remake of classic Swedish children's TV series, Kenny Starfighter. Okay, So that's the lowdown on the Scar We've got a great graphic on the website, which I spent far too much time making <laughs> with the family tree a and all their pictures. Graphic. So, uh, are they kind
2: of heartthrobs? Because I saw when we went on Facebook, there were like people posting kind of, you know, love, love eyes emojis underneath. Are really? They, are yeah, they kind of? Are yeah. they? Are they kind of? Are they kind of, are they kind of pinups? Are well, they, I mean, kind of Alexander, female lust.
3: Alexander ScarScore played Tarzan, and mm-hmm. apparently for that, he he. I, don't, I can't remember what I read, but like he, he was ridiculously ripped in that. Mm-hmm. So I think if you like tall, blonde, muscly Swedish men, then you like the Skarsgårds. And I think there's a lot of people that probably do like tall, blonde, muscly Swedish men. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's a, that's a fair assumption. Yeah. All right, thanks for telling us all about the Scorchords, Becky. I feel like I know an awful lot more than I did a few minutes ago. Uh, we thought it would be good to leave you today with recommendations for some of our favorite Swedish films. I'll go first if you don't mind. Is that okay with you? Mhm. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going I'm to recommend what I think was the first Swedish film I ever saw actually, long before I moved here and that's Mit Liv som Hund My Life as a Dog. It was made by Lasse Hallström in the mid 1980s but it's set in the late 1950s and tells the story of a boy called Ingemar, who lives in the city with his big brother and their mother who's very ill and can't take care of them. So Ingemar is sent to live with relations in Småland and Ingemar sort of lives a lot in his imagination to cope with all this trauma around him. But in this village in Smallland, he's surrounded by a colourful cast of really caring people, and the experience there is kind of life altering for him. And I watched it again recently with my children, and I thought that child's perspective on life was really well executed. So yeah, I recommend that. And I think I mentioned on this podcast before uh, quite a long time ago actually that I love the simple-minded murderer which was Stellan Skarsgård's first major role and he's brilliant in it. But Because I've already talked about it, I'm instead going to pick Sago Landet, which is called Land of Dreams in English and it's a three-hour documentary that Jan Thruell made over the course of five years in the the 1980s, after the birth of his daughter Johanna, ostensibly to figure out what kind of country she was being born into. And the sort of lyrical and meditative visual storytelling techniques used by Truel just totally blew me away when I saw it first. It was kind of, I saw, I saw it at a matinee screening at a film festival, and uh, I just thought I'd never seen anything quite like it. Jan Truel is just a brilliant filmmaker in general. But aside from being really visually arresting, it's also a deeply political film and it was very controversial when it came out. It sort of pits two heavyweight social Democrat former prime ministers against an American psychoanalyst who worries about Swedish conformity and the film also tackles issues of insularity and intolerance uh, so it's still a very relevant film today and I uh, really recommend looking it up as it I think it was on like SVT play not so long ago it's don't think it's there now uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere and it'll return to SVT at some point, I'm sure. Uh, So those are my tips. How about you, Richard? What are yours? Yeah,
2: I'm uh, I'm not a great film buff. I struggle sometimes. I, I find it hard to sit down for like two hours on the yeah. sofa. I can see them in the cinema. But, Maybe um,
3: Sagerlandet is not a film for you then, a three-hour documentary. No. <laughs> no, but I'm all right in the cinema. Anyway, it doesn't matter.
2: But I really liked,
3: um, when I first
2: came to Sweden, I really liked Funny and Alexander, which is the last big film by Ingmar Bergman. And uh, yeah. and I really loved it for the way it combines this. It's It's, again, very visual and very... It's it's kind of it's in some ways a very light and joyful film. So it has all these incredible uh, scenes from a sort of nineteenth-century big Swedish family w- Christmas with lots of color and movement, and then it contrasts that with this kind of horrific kind of Lutheran pr- priest that this this um, mm. mother and daughter, uh, mother and son get moved in with when he marries it. So it's this sort of combination of of the kind of joy of sweet of, of aspects of Swedishness with this sort of really kind of conformist Lutheran side that's always lurking somewhere in the background. And I think that's uh you know maybe similar to what Jan Troel was, was writing about. And my the mm. other film that I really liked is fucking Ormal, Lucas, yeah. which I think it's I think is a fantastic film from the from the nineties. And it's yeah. Lucas Mudison's breakthrough movie and it contrasts this sort of youthful energy of these two fantastic young girls with um uh this kind of swedish small town tristesse
3: this is a complete side note but something i love about uh fucking old Man now is that all of the outfits in it are like super super trendy right now like it just looks like 16 year olds in stockholm like sorry, I was a complete no, no. It's brilliant. It's, yeah, it's I was a... watching. it, I was like, is this from last year? Like it, it, in a way,
2: they're kind of the same movie. Actually, it's this sort of, yeah. it's, the, it's the kind of depressing, conformist, frustrating side of Sweden with the kind of mm. the joy that you know people, everyone has. You know, try this sort of how to how to be alive in a Swedish context and um, and in a way I think I, I'm not a big movie buff but I think Swedes are brilliant at making art movies and partly because I think they're not Swe- Swedes aren't that verbal and in movies you can show silence and silence is this huge part of Swedishness and what isn't said and failures of communication you can show really well in a movie you can just have people sitting next to each other not saying what everyone knows they should say mm. and you just scream at the screen go, you have to say it goddammit!" <laughs> and, uh, and and Swedes are great and Swedish movies are great at doing that at. And Swedish directors are great at doing that, so I think
0: I think it's the medium that Sweden's best at. Mm. Yeah, those are both great great films. Fanny and Alexander is about five five hours long, isn't it? I can't remember.
1: ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <it> <laughs> both great. Um, how about you, Becky? Do you have a couple of favourite Swedish films to share with us? I
3: do. My my first tip is I don't know if it technically counts as a film. It's an hour long and it's a documentary, so I guess you could argue it's just like a a, a one hour TV special, or whatever. Himlens that which I guess means like the heavenly dark room, in the sense of photography dark room. It's a, it's about photographer Juan Hermansson, who died in 2012. Uh, so like in the 60s, he did like a photo project visiting workers in Swedish industry, so like hard labourers, machine workers. I think he visited like Volvo's factories, stuff like that, um, taking their portraits. And he later explained to his assistant, Nils Petter Lövstedt, who actually made the documentary after Juan's death that his biggest mistake, like his biggest regret was he never found out the names of the workers who he photographed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when Juan died, Neil Petter inherited his archive and he eventually decided that he would find the people that Juan photographed, as well as kind of trying to find a place for this archive to live, like a museum, a gallery or something, they would look after it and maybe put it on show to the public. Uh, I think it's really great. It's really moving as well. You see really his kind of respect for for the working man and for these hard labourers that are sometimes kind Mm -hmm. of overlooked in society. And Niels Petter and his brother Johan are currently working on a sequel, Himmeln's Mökrum 2. uh, Great name for a sequel. Yes. (laughs) I think it might get a new name, but that's the working title, uh, which has been entirely grassroots financed. I actually donated to the second film. Uh, and I think you still can if you're interested. It's on SVT in Swedish. I know okay. the DVD has English subtitles because we have the DVD. And I, I Googled it a little bit. And I think you can watch it on Apple TV with English subtitles too. But I'm not sure.
0: Okay, great. That's a really good tip. I haven't seen that, but it sounds, sounds fun- fascinating. Um, what's, your, what's your second tip?
3: My second tip is very light and um, kind of a feel-good film. It's called Tort Generalen, so The Cake General. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on a book by comedy duo Filip Hammar and Fredrik Vikingsson known as Philippa Fredrik. So it's about the town of Sherping being declared Sweden's most boring city back in the 80s, which provokes mm-hmm. Hasse Pier, who is played by iconic Swedish actor Mickey Persbrandt, to prove what he refers to as Stockholm's Javlana, so the bloody Stockholmers wrong, by baking the world's largest smörgåstårta. Which, if you don't know what a smörgåstårta is, it's essentially like a savoury sandwich cake made up of multiple slices of bread filled with various often mayo-based spreads, so like prawn salad and eggs and stuff, and it's elaborately decorated with toppings. Uh, they're <laughs> amazing. Google them. Uh, anyway. D-
0: d- d- divides opinion. if it's frits, I- though, Ideally,
2: I it should have liver paste Le- and prawns in the same sandwich, <laughs> yeah, I think.
3: The, it's mm. like It's like if you, you can't decide what sandwich you want to eat, so you just eat a massive slice of sandwich with everything in it and then doused in mayo. And amazingly, this film is based on a true story and no one has ever broken Hassa Piers' record for the world's largest smuggler slaughter. Uh, I think it might be on Netflix, but I am not sure if it has English subtitles, unfortunately. <laughs> Excellent. But it's a great film.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I really enjoyed that film as well. Uh, light and entertaining, and very enjoyable thanks very much for your recommendations folks and that's all we have time for today Uh, thank you for listening Uh, if you're not already following sweden in focus make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast app our panelists today were becky waterton and richard orange our sound engineer is reese edwards i'm paul amani and we'll be back again next saturday until then take care
3: Free shipping and 365 day returns.
0: That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by the local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.